0: You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. All right, well, today we're wrapping up the series that we've been in for the past few weeks called Better Decisions, Fewer regrets. I hope you've enjoyed this series. I know I've gotten a lot out of it for myself. And today, I want to start by asking you a question. I want you to think about this for a moment. What is one of the best things you ever talked yourself into? I think it's so easy to focus on our bad decisions. And I think probably the past few weeks, as we've been sharing on these different questions, many of our bad decisions have come to mind. But hey, why don't we stop and celebrate and pat ourselves on the back for some of the good decisions we've made? So what are some of the best things you've ever talked yourself into? Think about that. As I was thinking about that for myself this past week, a few things just easily popped into my mind. The very first decision at the top of my list, probably the best decision I ever made in my life, besides making the decision to follow Jesus, was asking my wife Amy out when we were in Bible college. Okay, yeah, we had been friends for about three years, and then I began to see her differently, and I was throwing signals her way, and she wasn't exactly picking up on the signals, you know? Like she wasn't feeling it, you know? So I began to pray that God would make it very clear to her that I was his will for her life. And thankfully, after much prayer, she saw the light. Amen, somebody. Aren't you thankful that Pastor Amy saw the light shining right here on your boy, okay? (laughs) And then I think probably, you know, the second best decision was moving to New York to plant this church. Would you agree? I think that was a really good decision. Thank you and then And then I thought about us signing the lease for our beautiful space here at one eight one during the middle of COVID, and what a good decision that was, looking back now here 's the whole point here 's the whole point in each of those decisions, there was a question I had to ask myself. So when it came to asking Amy out, kind of, you know, putting our, our friendship on the line to, to ask her out, here was the question I asked myself, okay? Well, what's the worst that could happen? I, I had to actually talk to myself. What's the worst that could happen? If she says no, then I never have to regret that I didn't ask her out. But if she says yes, I'm in, right? What's the worst that could happen? When it came time to plant this church during a season of praying, I, I mean, a year or two of praying, I was actually between two decisions. I was thinking about either pursuing a PhD and becoming a professor or planting the church. I had a a professor in seminary who was kind of recruiting me to, to consider doing that. And here's the clarifying question for me. I asked this question, if I get to the end of my life and I don't do both of those, which one am I going to regret most not doing, getting the PhD or planting the church? And that made it very clear that the church plant was really the dream that was in my heart. And then the third one, in the third case, when it came to signing the lease for 181, so if you're newer to our church, you walk around and say, man, this was so smart. You have such nice facilities. Isn't this beautiful? But what you don't know is we signed this lease during the height of COVID, when most of our church was online, when we had no idea how God was going to provide the finances. Like It was a big leap of faith, and God gave me the faith to ask our church board this question. Here's what I said to him. Let's not ask what could go wrong. Let's ask what could go right if we step out in faith and sign this lease and look at what, have, what God has done. Amen. And so here's, here's the point. Here's what I've learned. The more life experience I get, I realize that often making the right decision is the result of asking the right question. If you want to make better better decisions, you have to ask better questions. And so that's what we've been doing for the past few weeks. We've been learning to ask ourselves some, some better questions that lead to better Decisions. So we end up living with fewer regrets. Okay. So if you, if you're new today, if you haven't been here the past few weeks, let me just kind of, kind of give an overview of where we've been the past few weeks. In week one, we talked about the integrity question. This question of, am I being honest with myself? Really? That's a very clarifying question, isn't it? The second question we looked at in week two was the legacy question. What story do I want to tell? When I realize that whole seasons of my life are going to be reduced down to one story that I tell about that season of life, what story do I want to tell? Let's make it a really good story. In week three, we talked about the conscience question. Is there a tension that deserves my attention? Is there something in my conscience, something that's unsettled in my heart that I need to pay attention to because the tension is there for a reason? Last week, Pastor Dave challenged us with the maturity question, what is the wise thing to do? How many of you did your homework and you asked yourself the wisdom question throughout the week? Anybody? Hopefully that helped you out, okay? Husbands, if your wife was like, does this dress make me look fat? The wisdom question, Lord, what's the wise thing to say in this situation? What's the wise thing to do? Help us, Lord, give us wisdom, right? Hopefully you did that. Today, we're gonna land the plane with this series with what's called the relationship question, okay? Our final question, I think, is the most powerful one, might be the most powerful one in this whole series because it's such a clarifying question. I mean, when you ask this question, it brings almost instant clarity into most situations, especially those situations dealing with people and dealing with relationships, which is such an important aspect of our lives. And here's the relationship question. What does love require of me? I might just step out of the way for a moment and let you take a picture of that, because that is a very clarifying question that will help you out in life, in navigating relationships and dealing with people. What does love require of me? Now, when I think about the word require, I think about the word requirements. And when I think about, about the word requirements, the next word that pops into my mind is the word loophole, because we often look for loopholes to get out of requirements in life, don't we? I think about my, youngest, my younger two sons, Michael and Nicholas, You know, with, with their homework. I think about loopholes when it comes to homework. And they're supposed to do reading every night. And quite often I'll ask them, Hey, Michael, Hey, Nicholas, are you done with your homework? And they're like, Yeah, done. Dad. we're done. And I'm like, Did you do your reading tonight? And it's like, Yeah, dad, we read the back of the cereal box when we were eating some Cheerios earlier. You know, like loopholes with homeworks, right? Homework, right? Uh, how about loopholes when it comes to paying our taxes? We're always looking for loopholes to get out of paying taxes, right? Is anybody with me? Like, can I, can I write my garage off as a home office because I texted a client from there last week? <laughs> Where are the people who like coupons? Those of you who cut coupons and you find coupons online. And, and yeah, like you're always looking for like the loophole around paying the full price for something. Where are the people, if you're honest in church today, you've used an expired coupon before or you've used a combination of coupons when you were only supposed to use one. You know who you are, be honest in church. Now, speaking of that, how many of you have a Starbucks membership? Anybody have the Starbucks app on your phone? You know how Starbucks gives you a free drink on your birthday, right? And you make sure you go get it, right? I read a story online the other day about a guy who bought 365 Starbucks gift cards, and he registered each one online with a different birthday. So every day of the year, he can have a free Starbucks drink. Talk about exploiting a loophole. That's messed up. Don't do that. That's dishonest. Some of y'all are like, that's a good idea, Pastor. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Starbucks figured out how to shut that down. <laughs> Starbucks fraud. Now, whether it's, whether it's exploiting a loophole when it comes to our taxes or free coffee, like we naturally look for ways to get around requirements in life, don't we? It's just human nature. But when it comes to this question of what does love require of me, well, I think that question points us as followers of Jesus to the very life of Jesus Christ. Like, we, we, what greater example do we have than the life and the example of Jesus? And his example makes all the difference when it comes to answering this question of what does love require of me? Jesus, he completely redefined love, didn't he? with his life, with his ministry, with his legacy, by going to the cross, Jesus completely redefined what love looks like, what it looks like to love others. And so today we're gonna look at a passage from the Gospel of John chapter 13, where Jesus deals with this very topic of what is required of us to love other people, what's required of his followers. Now, I'm just gonna warn you today, when I read this scripture, okay, when we look at the the words that we're gonna look at in just a few moments, most of you are not gonna say, wow, I've never heard that before. What a mind-blowing truth, okay? And for some of us, we're gonna be very familiar with this scripture. If you've been around church, it's a scripture you've heard in church before. It's one I've preached on before. You might be tempted to think, I already know this, but I wanna encourage you today to fight against the reaction of I've heard this before, because here's the reality. If we ever really got a hold. Of these words of Jesus and allowed them to change us, it would change our hearts. It would change the way we relate to people. It would impact our relationships, and we would never be the same. And so I want to invite you to lean in today as we go to John chapter 13. Now, let me give you a little context around the words we're going to read in just a moment, okay? In John chapter 13, what's taking place is this is the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed. This is the night of the Last Supper. He's with the disciples. He knows he's going to the cross soon. He knows that his time on earth is coming to an end, and he's trying to prepare his disciples. So everything that he's saying, everything that he's doing, it's charged with meaning. It's very important. Like, this is a really sacred moment. And as you're reading the story of Jesus's life in the Gospels, you can kind of feel the story coming to a crescendo. You can feel kind of the tension and the drama building up, like, in the room that very night. So Jesus tells the disciples that he's leaving soon. They don't fully understand what he means. He says, where I'm going, you can't go. He knew he was getting ready to go back to the father. And then in this beautiful act of servant leadership and humility, Jesus gets down and he washes the disciples feet. And he says these words in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, when the disciples first heard the part where Jesus says, I'm gonna give you a new commandment, maybe they were thinking, okay, this is it. This is our moment. Like Jesus is gonna give us new marching orders. Like it's time, right? Like finally, he's gonna overthrow the Romans. He's gonna kick out the bad guys and he's gonna establish his earthly kingdom here. And it's gonna be awesome. Go ahead, Jesus, give us a new commandment. Let's go. And just as they were, you know, getting all riled up with excitement, Jesus kind of anticlimatically says, love one another, love one another. And maybe the disciples were like, yeah, 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 we know that, Jesus. Like, we, we've read that before. Before that, That's not a new commandment. That's in the Old Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like, we've got it. Like, what's, what's the new commandment? And maybe some of you in here today, you're like, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard this before. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I want you to I want you to get this. Here's the new part. I'm about to show you something you've never seen before. Remember, he's got the cross in the back of his mind as well. And, and Jesus would say to the disciples and does, here's, here's the new part, verse 34. As I have loved you. Come on, read that out loud with me. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus establishes himself as the new standard of love. The way he says to his disciples, the way I've treated you, the way I've, I've modeled love to you as, as we've ministered together these past three, three years, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And maybe in that moment, each of the disciples around the room thought about how Jesus had loved them, how Jesus had treated them. And Jesus could have gone around the room one by one and reminded each of them of just how he had, he had loved them. Maybe to Matthew, to Levi, the tax collector, he would have said, hey, Matthew, remember when you were a tax collector, when you were despised and hated by the people around you because you took advantage of people and you ripped people off and I extended grace and mercy to you. I want you to extend grace and mercy to other people. Maybe to the apostle Peter, he, he could have said, Peter, remember when I nicknamed you rock, when many times you've been anything but a rock, but I saw something on the inside of you and I called forth your full redemptive potential. Peter, I want you to do the same thing for other people. I want you to call forth greatness in other people. Maybe to James and John, he would have said, remember when you were just fishermen, when I called you to follow me, when I saw, when I saw your worth. One day you're going to go out and you're going to call other people to, to follow me. And when you're tempted to see people as unworthy, I want you to remember that I saw you as worthy. Come on, as I have loved you, verse 34, as I have loved you, you must love one another. Now remember, Jesus had just modeled this. He had just given them like a living word picture by getting down in this act of servant leadership and humility and washing his disciples' feet. He had just just modeled what it looks like to serve others, to love others well. And of course, we know that Jesus was about to to go to the cross. He was about to completely explode the disciples' paradigm of what it looked like to love. He was about to give the world the greatest example of self-sacrificial love that we've ever seen when he would go to the cross and give his life for the disciples' sins, for our sins. And then Jesus goes on to say this in verse 35. He says, by this, everybody say, by this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says, but by this, by this, like this kind of love, this is the evidence that you are a genuine disciple of mine, that, 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 that there's power in the gospel, that, that, that this message is life-changing, not by how impressive your prayers are, not by how many Bible verses you can quote, not by your perfect church attendance, but by, by the way you love one another. That is, the, that is the power. That will be the proof that you are truly my followers if you love one another. Jesus says the litmus test for being one of his followers is loving others the way he loved us. Man, that's challenging, isn't it? Jesus said, you wanna know where the proof is? You wanna know what will cause an unbelieving world to believe? By this, they'll know that you're my disciples. By the way, you love one another. If you love each other the way I loved you. See, there's no loophole around this one. There's no loophole around this, this command. It's not just another rule. It's the rule to end all rules. It's the commandment to fulfill all of the commandments. It's so simple, yet it's so challenging. It's so simple, yet it's so demanding. It's simple. It's not hard to get your head around love people the way Jesus loved you. We instantly know what that means for each one of us personally, but oh, it's so demanding. Oh, it requires the grace of God. Oh, it requires everything of us. It's simple, yet so demanding. There are no loopholes around loving people the way Jesus loved us. And I think in many ways, we would rather be given rules because that would be easier. In fact, there are so many people that I meet and talk to as I talk about church and faith and a relationship with God, that I, I think they would just rather the rules. That's how so many people around us relate to to religion and, and, and to church. I think many people say, just tell me what I got to do. Tell me what I got to do, right? I got to go to church. I got to put some money in the offering. I got to try not to say curse words. Like, what is it? What do I have to do? And then I can look for the loopholes. I can do the bare minimum. I can check the boxes and I'll be good with God. How many of you know that's the, that is the mindset? With so many people around us, unless we start pointing fingers at other people, I think we're all tempted at times to figure out how little we can get by with relationally when it comes to our relationship. Do I really have to forgive this person again? Do I really have to love this unlovable person? Do I really have to put up with this annoying person in my life? How little can I put into the relationship and still get the most out of it? I, I, I think we are we are tempted in many ways To to look for the loopholes when it comes to loving people. To look for the loopholes when it comes to our relationships. To to kind of put in the the least amount of effort. How little can we get away with relationship-wise? But asking this question, the relationship question, what does love require of me? It always brings clarity, doesn't it? It brings instant clarity. I know that that question always challenges me. It always brings clarity in, in, in my life. See, when anger gets out of control. When you're in the midst of an argument, we can say some really hurtful things, can't we? But but asking this question, what does love require of me? It changes things because it helps me to realize that I can win the argument, but lose the relationship. Maybe we have an opportunity to, to get even with someone. Maybe somebody hurts us and we have a chance to hurt them, to get them back. We've got them right where we want them. And then we ask, what does love require of me? And we know that love requires forgiveness Maybe it's, it's how easy it is to, to slip into the cycle of serving ourselves and, and, how, and be reminded how convenient it is that, to make life all about me, but then we get challenged with this question of what does love require of me, and it reminds us that we're called to be servants. It requires us to serve others and not make life all about us. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor Jeremy, I'm in a situation where even asking this question doesn't completely make things clear. Like maybe it's really confusing. Maybe there's a lot of tension. Maybe there's a lot of emotions and mixed thoughts and feelings. And you'd say, I don't know, I'm in a situation right now where I'm not even sure what the loving thing is to do. What does love require of me? Well, can I just give you a really good suggestion today? Let me encourage you to look no further than the example of Jesus Christ. Can't think of a better person to point you toward. Can't think of a better example to point you toward than the life of Jesus, the embodiment of self-sacrificial grace and love. There's no greater example of love than Jesus' love. So let's add a second clarifying question to our first question. And here it is, what does Jesus-style love require of me? What does Jesus-style love require of me? How many of you know that we could probably get some clarity around our relationships, around our tensions, around the people we need to forgive by, by asking ourselves, what does Jesus-style love require of me. If you become more like Jesus, you're probably going to answer or do the right thing. Are you with me? That's a good spot to say amen. That's the the example we're pursuing, the example of Jesus. And so what does Jesus-style love require of me? Number one, Jesus-style love requires compassion. Everybody say compassion. Jesus-style love requires compassion. See, Jesus saw people through the lens of compassion. One of the things you'll notice as you read the Gospels is that Jesus had a way of seeing people. There's a sense that he was busy, that he was moving. There were crowds and there was teaching and there was so much going on, but he stopped for people. He saw people. Jesus had a way of of seeing people's humanity, of seeing people's heart, of just stopping and, and seeing a person right where they were and loving them as they were. And it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter who the person was. Sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, rich, poor, sick, marginalized, like Jesus just loved people. How many of you are thankful that Jesus' love comes without a background check? He didn't background check you and me before he loved us. He didn't background check people before he loved them. He saw people for who they were, and he affirmed their humanity, and he loved them as they were. And I think so many times in church, it's so easy for us to, to focus on orthodoxy. You know this word orthodoxy? It means having right beliefs. And I think that's important having right beliefs and right biblical doctrines. and But I think so much of church so many times is about kind of getting all of my beliefs lined up, all of my, all of my biblical ducks in, in a row. But let me give you another word that you might want to add to your theological vocabulary that will help you out, and it's the word orthopathy. Orthopathy is about how we feel. It's right feeling. Not just right belief, but right feeling. It's this idea of feeling what God feels to feel with the heart of Jesus, to have the compassion of Jesus in the way we see people and treat people. How many of you know that it's possible to have all the right biblical doctrines in your mind, but have wrong feelings in your heart toward people? And God wants more for us than that. And that's why so many of you, you you carry church hurt. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You grew up in church where people could sing all the songs and amen all the messages and quote all the verses and say all the right things. But sometimes people were just downright nasty. And you got hurt. Some of you grew up in churches where people spoke in tongues, but they also spoke fluently in gossip. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, because that's people being people. We can have all the right doctrines up here in our heads and, and miss what's right in our heart, having having God's heart of compassion toward toward people. And it's so easy to blame others, but I think for all of us, it's it's, it's we, we get so busy in life and, and we're moving so fast that sometimes we just don't see people around us. And know every now and then, the Holy Spirit will just slow me down in the midst of of my busyness and all that I'm going about. And he'll just help me to see somebody. And it's not always at church. Sometimes it's at church, but sometimes it's random places. Sometimes it's a cashier at the grocery store or a waitress at a restaurant or just in the airport sitting next to someone. And it doesn't mean that I always get up and start preaching to that person. Sometimes it's just a smile. Sometimes it's just a warm exchange. Sometimes it's just a sense that the Holy Spirit is just reminding me that I'm surrounded by people that God loves, that he gave his one and only son for, who are made in the image of God. And I just feel his love for random people. And I'm so thankful for moments like that, just moments of of compassion. I can tell you, asking this question, how does Jesus see that person, always clarifies things for me. When I'm annoyed with somebody, when I'm in tension with somebody, come on, because uh, I need prayer just like you. I'm in the people business. I'm a pastor. I'm in the people business. It would be easy except for all the difficult people that God calls me to love. But guess what? When I, ask that, when I ask myself the question, Jesus, how do you see this person? It always changes things. It always changes me. Here's the second thing. What does Jesus-style love require of us? Jesus-style love requires forgiveness. It requires forgiveness. You see, we forgive Because Jesus forgave us. That's it. That's where the power is. It's simple, but it's powerful. We can only extend grace to others because it's been so freely given to us. We forgive because Jesus forgave. We forgive because that's what Jesus did for us and that's what Jesus did for this broken world. Well, what if they don't deserve it, Pastor Jeremy? What if they owe me? You don't know what they did to me. Listen to me. We don't forgive people because they because they deserve it. If that were the case, we wouldn't forgive anybody. We don't forgive people because they deserve it. No, no, no. We forgive people out of the grace of Jesus Christ that was poured out into our lives when we least deserved it. That's how we forgive people. That's why we forgive people. It has nothing to do with them deserving because guess what? We're not deserving. We forgive because Jesus forgave us. We tap into the bottomless well of his grace when we don't have it for ourselves. One of my favorite stories that comes to mind when I think about this is a story from the life of Cory Ten Cory Corrie Ten Boom was one of the greatest women of faith last century. Uh, she and her family were Dutch watchmakers who helped hide Jews during the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands during World War II. And uh, they were a great family of faith and what they did, they did out of love for, for God and for people. And they trusted God all throughout this process, but they eventually ended up being found out, and they got sent to prison, and uh, Corey lost her parents, and they they died in the camps. And, and she ended up in uh, Ravensburg Prison Camp in Germany, a very, very nasty place. And her sister died there, and she went through all of the injustices of being in a situation like that. Well, years later, after the war, she got out, and she began to preach the gospel around Europe, And she went to, of all places, Germany. The German people were broken and desperately needed the gospel. And she tells the story in her book, The Hiding Place, of a time when she preached in Munich, Germany in 1947. She preached on the forgiveness of Jesus Christ to the broken German people. And at the end of the service, a man came up to her. And as he approached her, she recognized him. He didn't recognize her, but she recognized him as one of the prison guards at Ravensbrück. And immediately flashbacks of trauma and all that she went through came back to her. And this man came up to her and he thanked her for the message and he shared his testimony. He told her that he had become a Christian. He had placed his faith in Jesus years ago and that God had forgiven him of all the terrible things he had done as a prison guard there in Ravensbrook. And then he said this to her. He said, but it would mean so much sister to hear it from you to hear you pronounce forgiveness over me. And he extended his hand to her. And as he extended his hand to her, she began to have backflashes of, of the injustices that she experienced, the cruelty, walking past the prison guards naked, and all the shame that she, that she experienced. And she realized she didn't have it in her to even extend her hand. She She was just frozen. And she began to pray in her spirit, God, help me to forgive this man. And she extended her hand. And as she extended her hand to this man, a warmth came over her. The Holy Spirit flooded her heart with compassion. And she shook this man's hand and she embraced him in love. And she said, I learned that day that Jesus not only gives us the commandment to forgive our enemies, but he gives us the ability to do it. And she loved this man and embraced him. And it impacted her. And I think that she needed that experience more than that man needed that experience. Here's the point, church. We can only forgive others because we've been forgiven so freely by Jesus. We tap into the well of his grace to forgive undeserving people. Jesus-style love requires forgiveness. Here's the third thing. What does Jesus-style love require? It requires self-sacrifice. It requires self-sacrifice. See, Jesus demonstrated the power of self-sacrificial love when he went to the cross, and it forever changed the world. I love this quote from Pastor Andy Stanley. He said this, Jesus did not leverage his equality with God to stir his followers to action. He leveraged his love. Jesus didn't anchor his new command to this divine right as king. He anchored it to his, his uh, sacrificial love. I love this idea of Jesus leveraging his love to influence people. We so easily think about leveraging our position, leveraging our position to other people, leveraging our socioeconomic status, leveraging our resources and our finances and our talents. What if we learn, like Jesus to leverage self-sacrificial love? I'm telling you, it's the most powerful force on, on the planet. It always costs us something to love others well. How many of you have discovered that? It always costs us something to love others well, but it's always worth it. It's always worth it. Love that gives of itself is the only kind of love that's ever changed the world. I was thinking about that this past week, this idea of self-sacrificial love as we were cutting checks to two of our missions partners from our Christmas offering. Uh, we're sending $20,000 to, to Ukraine to help, uh, the people of Ukraine right now pro- provide relief to them, generators and medicine and, and, uh, food and water. And then we're sending $20,000 to, uh, Destiny Rescue, a wonderful ministry that's helping rescue children from self, uh, from sex trafficking. And as, as we were sending those checks this week, I, I got to think about, thinking about all of you and how many of you gave sacrificially in the Christmas offering. Like it costs you something to give. And then my mind went back to a conversation that I had with my oldest son, Aaron, uh, back a few weeks ago before the Christmas offering, when, when he was preparing his offering, we were talking about it. And I said, son, it may feel like it costs us something to, to give, you know, maybe sacrificial to have to give in an offering like this, but if we could go to Ukraine, see those people deliver this stuff in person ourselves, we'd probably empty our bank accounts. See the difference we're making in those people's lives. Can you imagine being there, from a family that's been that's gone through a war and has lived like a refugee, has no electricity, no heat, and then somebody pulls up and gives them a generator, brings them food, brings them water? Like I wish I could be there. Can you imagine a young girl being rescued out of out of sex trafficking and being set on a path? to healing. Come on, some of you have daughters in this place being set on the path of, of healing in a brand new life. Like it always costs us something to love people well, but it's always worth it. It's always worth it. Jesus style of self-sacrificial love is the greatest force on the planet. And so next time you're in a difficult situation, and maybe some of you are in a situation like that right now, let's with the help of the Holy Spirit ask this question, what does love require of me? What does love require of me when it comes to marriage, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to dating, when it comes to friendship, when it comes to forgiving, when it comes to arguing with people? What does love require of us? It's always a clarifying question, isn't it? It's amazing how we almost instinctively, automatically always know the right thing to do when we ask that question, even if we don't like the answer at first. I can't tell you how many times this question has landed on me in the midst of tension in the midst of dealing with someone, and it's just brought such clarity and some such such conviction. Now, let me give you some, some good news and some bad news, okay? I'm going to give you the bad news first, then I'm going to cheer you up with some good news. Does that sound good? Here's the bad news first, okay? When it comes to this whole idea of asking, what does love require of me? Even if you answer that question well, and you do the right thing, you say the right thing, how many of you know we can't control the other person involved in this situation? We can't control the other person. We can't control how they're going to to respond. Asking this question, it it might not change the other person, but it'll always change you. It'll always change you. They might not respond the same way. But this question will always change your heart. Here's the reality. We can't control other people. We can't even control ourselves as we endeavor to do the right thing, as we endeavor to love people like Jesus loved people. How many of you know we're gonna come up short? If Jesus-style love is the standard, we are going to fail sometimes. But that leads me to the good news. The good news is that failing will cause you to recognize just how much you need the grace of God. It'll cause you to lean into the grace of God like never before. The the truth is none of us can love people the way Jesus loved people in our own natural ability. But by the supernatural grace of God, we can love people the way Jesus called us to love people. Come on, we can tap into his love. We can tap into his love as we get a greater revelation of just how well we've been loved. We can love other people. And so when you go through those times, when it's difficult, when it's hard to know what to do, do I forgive this person again? Do I trust this person again? Do I put my heart out there again? And you're not sure what to do. Let me give you the North Star. Let me give you the compass that will always point you in the right direction. Here it is. Remember how Jesus loved you. Remember how Jesus loved you. And how did Jesus love you? Jesus loved you when you least deserved it, when you least expected it. Come on, he loved you past your faults. He loved you past your sin. He loved you past your shame. He loved you into the person. He knew you could be a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's how he loved you. He loved you well. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he loved you. That's how he loved me. Let me tell you, the best decisions I've ever made relationally were the times when I remembered just how well I've been loved by Jesus Christ. The best decisions I've ever made in a moment of tension in a moment where I needed to forgive someone, in a moment where I needed patience and grace for a difficult person, the times I got it right, the best decisions I ever made relationally were times when the love of Jesus was fresh in my heart. And the worst decisions I've ever made relationally, the times when I've hurt the people who are closest to me the times when I've forgotten it. So if you don't do anything else, by the help of the Holy Spirit, remember just how well you've been loved Jesus. And I promise you, it changes everything. It'll change your heart. It'll change the way you see that person. It'll change the situation. It brings instant clarity, instant conviction. It is the the guiding compass of our lives. And so we're going to pray into that today. We're going to ask God to give us a greater revelation of his love for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? Come on, let's invite God to help us today. Let's ask him today to give us a greater revelation of his love. Let's ask him to help us to see people the way he sees people let's ask him to to help us with this question of what does love require of us today father we thank you for your word come on just pray with me just bow your head right there where you are maybe god's going to speak to you about a situation about a person in your life father we thank you for your word god we thank you for your love god we thank you for the gift of your son jesus the embodiment of love we thank you for the greatest act of self-sacrificial love that the world has ever seen when you gave your son jesus for us while we were yet sinners Jesus, you died for us. God, we're asking for a greater revelation of that love so that we can love well. God, show us what love requires of us. Show us what love requires of us in whatever situation we're in right now, in our friendships, in our marriage, in our parenting, with our coworkers, with the people around us. God, we're asking you to make us more like you. Jesus, we wanna have your heart of compassion, your heart of grace, your heart of forgiveness. Father, I pray you do that for each person in this place. And now as we're praying today, I want to pray for the person who would say, Pastor Jeremy, I want to know God that way. I want to know God's love love that way. Even as you're describing that, there's something inside of me that is so drawn to this idea of how God has loved me well through his son Jesus. And if there's a tug on your heart today, we believe that is the gentle tug of a loving God who is leading you to himself, to his son Jesus by his spirit today. And we want to invite you to place your faith in Jesus by simply saying yes to him today. So if that's you today, would you pray this prayer with me and just say, Jesus, I give you my yes. Come on, under your breath, right where you are, all over this room. Jesus, I give you my yes. Pray this with me. I believe you are who you said you are. That you lived a sinless life for me. That you went to the cross for my sins. That you were resurrected to give me a new life. Repeat this after me. Jesus, I place my faith in you. I turn from my sins and I follow you today and I receive your love today. Father, I thank you for every person who prayed that prayer. God, I thank you for what the scripture says that your spirit testifies to our spirit that we're born again, changed, never the same, new creations in Christ Jesus. By your love, by your grace today, and we give you praise in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.